Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kristen Eichhammer. And we have a very special guest with us today. Evie Solheim is here in studio. Evie is the creator and writer of The Girl's Guide and also a writer for Evie Magazine. Evie, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And I feel like I always have to disclaim Evie Magazine is not named after me. I know. I was going to ask. I simply (laughs) found them because people kept sending me their links saying, (laughs) it's your name. And I finally was like, you know what? I think I have more in common with this publication than my name. So big fans of them. Um, But yeah, thank you for having me. Well, this is going to be really fun. You recently became a mom. Yes. We're going to talk a little bit about your story here in a minute. What has been... Maybe the biggest surprise, something that that no one told you about motherhood. I think it's that you want to be with your child all the time. So I think I'm a little extreme in how long I even waited to kind of cut the apron strings, if you will, and like even go to the grocery store without her, like things like that. Um, But so my husband and I just had our first date night on Friday Um, after eight months yeah sans kid (laughs) and we like the eight months went by so fast we had a really good time but at the end of it we were like looking at pictures of her and like stuff like that so we were like oh it's really nice to be together but also like you truly miss them Mm -hmm. so anyway she has my whole heart so sweet I love it I love it well I'm really excited that we get to hear more of your story because it's fun and to hear about girls guide We're going to dive deep into that. Kristen, go ahead. Let us know what we have queued up. Up on today's Problematic Women, Evie explains how she ended up in D.C. and offers some insight and advice for women entering the job field. Then we'll be discussing a new trend being celebrated called the lazy girl job. We explain what that is and what it reveals about our culture. And then we, of course, are talking about the Barbie movie and why it is not as lefty as everyone thought it would be, but even moves some surprisingly conservative points. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find those stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. So we are starting the show backwards today, and we're going to start with crowning our problematic woman of the week since she's right here in the flesh. So Evie, thank you for being with us, for being problematic. I think you are the definition of a problematic woman in so many ways. So congratulations. It feels good. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It feels good to be a problematic woman. But I want to kind of start with the beginning of your journey. Evie, where did you grow up and how did you ultimately end up moving to Washington, D.C.? Right. No, that's a great question. I grew up in North Carolina. I'm a North Carolinian through and through. And so that's why it's even crazy to think about, you know, living in D.C. My parents have a story about they took my sister and I to visit D.C. when I was maybe in like elementary school. And it scared me so much to be in such a big city. And they were like, "Okay, she's she's not a city girl. Like, no big deal. Like, whatever. And then, you know, fast forward (laughs) 10, 15 years. And like, this is where I I 
um, I live, I work in the middle of things. We're not far from where I used to work here in studio. Um, and so it's it has been quite a journey. And now I'm kind of back in the country in West Virginia with my goats, my chickens. Full circle. Full circle. The chickens. Yeah, all these things, all these things, right? Um, but so for me, it really started with the kind of the reason I'm in D.C. is Patrick Henry College, where I studied mm. political journalism. And I'm, I'm really big fans of them. It's a small school. Yeah. It makes people it kind of blows their mind if you tell them, oh, no, my my college was probably smaller than your high school class. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. like 200 people tops at this Ooh, college. Wait, really? That's small. That's how small Patrick Henry is. That's how small it is. Um, and they're definitely growing. But that when I was there, my yeah, goodness. it's small. The college is actually younger than my little sister. Oh. Um, but I had a great experience there. And I really loved that they emphasize apprenticeships and internships. Mm. And you can get a lot of credit there. I got out in three years. Um, so I had a really good experience, and I have a lot of friends and family who went to, you know, schools with different philosophies, and it'd be like, well, if you want to get credit for an internship, you can't get paid for it, things like that. So it's just making students mm. make hard choices they don't really have, have to, to make, you. right? So I appreciated them and, like, working with me. So I enjoyed it a lot. But, yeah, it's only an hour west of D.C. A lot of students end up in D.C., and here I am. Hmm. And what was your first job that you moved to D.C. to have? Or was it an internship? Yes. So I my first job was in D.C. It wasn't an internship. So okay. it's kind of, you know, jumping you the into ground the running. End. Yeah. And as we all know, there's there's just a D.C. is a special place to work and start out mm, yep. and navigate, whether you're in media, government. Totally. It's its own animal. It really is. Um, but so I really enjoyed starting as a Daily Caller News Foundation fellow. Mm. I feel like I met a lot of great people. I was yeah. there for over a year. Um, and you just kind of learn, like, oh, I had no idea how the sausage is made. Like, I'm I'm learning fast. And that's trial by fire in many ways. I oh, mean, yes. you're just thrown right into the deep end, writing oh, yes. and turning out a lot of articles every day. Oh, yes. And people on Twitter will let you know if you don't do a good job, <laughs> you know. So I like to joke, like, you could... S- Hate mail no longer phases me. Like, I still get it, believe it or not. Wow. Like, I'm writing my little articles on fashion, okay? Like, who's sending me hate mail? Yeah. It still comes. I'm like, uh, this is so uh, so 2018. But um, another thing is, um, yeah, just how much the people you meet in your first years in D.C., they're going to stick around. Mm-hmm. So, you know, making really good friends, like some of my friends from Daily Caller who were my bridesmaids at my wedding, oh, you know? Sweet. That's Like, beautiful. those are things you don't think about when you get your first job. Yep. Um, but so I learned a lot, made a lot of friends, um, and then was able to hop over to Fox News and then finally do some work in PR. And now I'm focusing on being a mom. I'm mm. freelancing. I'm writing my newsletter, The Girl's Guide, which is really a passion project just something I enjoy doing. I kind of write it like what I would write to my little sister, things I wish I had known starting out. Mm. That's really cool. And and I did check out the Girl's Guide. It's great. You all should definitely check it out. Yes. Um, but just kind of on that, I think that one of the biggest intimidation factors about D.C. is people just don't know what to expect, what challenges they're going to, to face. And it sounds like your college did a great job of, of kind of having you experienced that before you were totally thrown into the D.C. area. But what was one of the biggest challenges when starting in D.C. that you faced? I think a really hard thing, and I um, I feel like this can affect men and women, but sometimes it's more women. So something I'll tell people is like, well, the best journalists are the ones who know how to do the PR for themselves. Mm-hmm. 
and that's not saying like, oh, they're not they're not doing great stories, things like that. But it's if you understand that final step of selling yourself and selling your story, like that's not it can feel ambitious. It can feel um, kind of like you are like thinking highly of yourself. But it's like if you believe in your work, you're going to take that extra step mm. and, you know, share it with people, be proud of people or be proud of it and hope it impacts people. Um, so that's something I say people, you know, a lot of people want to. Um, you know, either they want to have the opinions and not put in the work or they put in the work, but they're like, I still don't want to take that extra step and put myself out there. And I'm like, put yourself out there. Because yeah. um, I, I feel like the people who need to be putting themselves out there are not always the ones who do. That's kind of even why I started Girls Guide, because I had so many friends in the city with a lot of wisdom, but they weren't saying like, hey, I've got it figured out. Everybody listen to me. I kind of said, I think I have to sneakily kind of find a way to profile them and kind of share what they know with people who are coming to the city. So that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, that's really cool. And I, I think to your point, we've had a lot of policy experts on the show. We haven't necessarily had a ton of people that have worked in the media. I was in PR at Heritage and have since moved to coalitions. And I think that what you're saying is so important. But like just to drive home that point, it is not just policy and reporters. Like it's self-promotion regardless of the field. Wouldn't you say um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have probably one of my favorite articles I've written in the last year or two is all about networking, which people feel like it's so icky. Such mm-hmm. an icky word. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, like, I'm just going to hand you my business card and like, give me this follow on Twitter. But it really truly is a part of solving each other's problems. Yeah. Like, you could be the person who fills that amazing job opening that they've been trying to fill. So, so I think it's just understanding that, um, you know, it's what makes the world go round. You have to meet people. You have to be kind of sharing what you're good at because it could help someone. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's funny because we all joke like I've gone to two or three happy hours in one night because, you know, you double book and then you're kind of all over the place going from DuPont to Capitol Hill to wherever, whatever the city centers are. Um, But you're so right because you just got to meet people. It's a relationship game at the end of the day and self-promotion is the way to to win at it. So that's very, very cool. I love it. Well, and I, I love how you do feature so many different voices on Girls Guide. Just talk a little bit about... Like, what is the format and who are some of the women that you have had answer questions and dive deep and share their stories on Girls Guide? 100%. Well, even um, I think my fourth interview was Mary Margaret Olihan, oh, currently of Mary the Daily Margaret. Signal. Yes. <laughs> wonderful lady. Shout out. Um, but so for me, I, I like to feature a totally diverse crew. Sometimes it's people who've only been in the city for a year and they're saying, well, I don't know everything about it, but like here's kind of what I've learned in my first year. I'll feature, you know, moms who are maybe out of the career game, but they're reminiscing on what they learned or talking about what it's like to raise a family in this city, which is also really interesting for young women to hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I just love to basically, if I think somebody would give, if somebody is a person I'd trust my little sister to take advice from, I will interview you for Mm -hmm. Girl's Guide. That's kind of how I think about it. And there's so many different components of that and people in different walks of life. Um, But even recently, I I featured um, 
a really cool girl who is in Brookland, and she has just started her own floral design business. Yeah, and a big part of it, I think, is like her Catholic background and knowing symbolism behind flowers Mm. and kind of understanding what brides who are envisioning that church wedding and a traditional wedding like want. Mm -hmm. So it's even cool to talk to her about like, you know, floral trends in weddings, like things I'm not an expert in, but it's really fun to talk to people who have that um, interesting depth of knowledge. Yeah. So I have a lot of fun with it. And a unique passion for something that like this isn't in my wheelhouse, but let's talk about flowers. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay. So Evie, we have touched some on the craziness of the DC job world and jobs and just kind of navigating that as a young person. And so I want to take a minute to talk about a really interesting trend that actually you pointed out to me. Uh, that we are seeing within the job field specifically as it relates to young women. But before we get to that, I want to tell you all about one of my favorite ways to get the news and keep up with issues that I actually care about. So if you're anything like me, then you have a weakness for going on YouTube and searching just random topics, entertaining topics, or when you're like, I I need to learn how to do this, or I just need to learn about a subject, YouTube is the go-to. But sometimes it's really hard to know what information is well-researched and actually trustworthy, and that is where the Daily Signal YouTube channel comes in. We are constantly posting new videos that are designed to keep you up to date on the issues that you care about and really give you data and facts in a very succinct way. The Daily Signal YouTube channel features policy explainer videos, documentaries, and entertaining clips from podcasts just like this one, and so much more. So go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today so that you stay informed and you never miss out on the news you care about. A lazy girl job. This is a new trend on TikTok. Disclaimer, none of us are on TikTok. We've all talked a lot about bad TikTok. Don't have... Don't let China steal your data. Get off TikTok if you're on TikTok. But there's this trend that's sweeping through TikTok, hashtag lazy girl job. And these are jobs essentially that are just like what they sound, where you don't have to do much, where you're paid to work very little and there's little value attached to that job. Dazed Digital wrote a little bit about this phenomenon, uh, and they kind of make this argument that what we saw in the early 2000s was this girl boss movement. And women out kind of out of the feminist movement were told, you're powerful, which is true, but the, almost like you have to be in charge, take the bull by its horns, step into a man's world. And now we're seeing almost like an opposite trend after COVID where women are like, I don't really want an intense job. Just let me get paid for sending a few emails and sitting at a desk and then I'll go home and my job is pointless. Um, So my thoughts on this trend are, well, before I get into my thoughts, let me, let me pause on that. I want to share my thoughts in a second. But first, Evie, I would love to hear your reaction. Where do you think this is coming from? That all of a sudden we have all of these specifically young women who are saying, I would rather have a job where I can, quote, unquote, be lazy than a job where I feel purposeful or fulfilled or powerful. Right. I think it's interesting. It's definitely an overcorrection to the girl boss trend. And I was looking through some of these articles, and there were pieces I could pick out that I think were good. You know, you shouldn't have your identity wrapped up in your career. Um, But yeah, this trend of finding a job that you just don't care about. 
um, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. I can pick up on the threads of, you know, not everyone wants to be just climbing and climbing that corporate ladder. I think it makes sense if you're interested in a job. You have to think of what that endpoint is. If you don't want to be managing people, you know, if you would rather be the person behind the scenes, like that's just all things you have to consider. Um, but yeah, lazy girl job. I, I think that anyone posting with that hashtag needs to make sure their employer does not <laughs> that's follow that. Yeah. You know, the wrong oh type of self promotion there. That's taking a big risk. <laughs> big risk, definitely. <laughs> but my my reaction is similar to yours in reading it. That you know, work is something that is beautiful, and it is supposed to add purpose and meaning to our lives. And I was reading through the article, and they were sharing. You know, uh, one girl was saying. You know, even though I have a quote unquote lazy girl job and I don't have to do much, I'm going to quit because I, I'm feeling depressed. I feel like mm-hmm. there's no meaning and there's no purpose. So we have to recognize that there is meaning and there is purpose in job. But I think this pendulum swing is the result of women being told you will find fulfillment in your career. And that's simply not true. Our highest calling is not to find a good job. Like we have to find purpose outside of what we do nine to five in in relationships with people and being invested in a community. And, and for me, as a Christian in my faith in Jesus Christ, that our purpose, our calling, where we get our identity from is so much higher than just nine to five. And so I feel like the pendulum is swinging and will keep swinging until people realize like, oh, my work adds value. It adds beauty in part, it's a reflection of who I am and, and what I bring to the world, but it's not where my identity comes from. I think it's important to note, too, that this trend is coming, you know, post-COVID and in a generation that uh, the article actually pointed this out. This is not me. Um, but, you know, in a generation that has already experienced two recessions, you know, crazy housing prices like spiking. You know, we've talked about that on the podcast before, how crazy everything is and just economic turmoil in general. Like, look at the national debt, for instance. It's insane. Um, And so I can understand why undemanding and stress-free roles, you know, Sounds nice. It does. It does sound nice. You know, you can go at lunch and go get your nails done. You can, you know, leave early on the weekend or on Fridays to go do what you want to do. But it it's kind of sad because that's not what this country was created on. Like our mm. country was created by people that worked well p- before nine and well after five. Mm-hmm. And so it just seems so counterintuitive to what our country was built on. And it makes me fearful. Like we look at Europe and, you know, they all leave in August from wherever they're from. And basically their country shuts down in some cases, at least in Italy. Italy, for those that are traveling, don't go there. They're closed for lunches in August. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Um, but I think that the power of work is something that's just so critical to humans as we have evolved over time for, you know, thousands of years. And now since the 19, like 90s, we're seeing people push for this. You know, I want to be lazy. I want to have a lazy girl job where there's no stress. And sometimes it's in the name of self-care. And that's it's just we're all over the place. We don't know how to take care of ourselves. And going back to kind of the tried and true, you know, working towards a goal, I think, you know, is, is kind of what we need to do to readjust, swing the, the pendulum back. Pendulum. <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll get on my, my horse for a second here because I feel like I've talked about this on the show before. But seasons, right? Like there's such a beauty to hard work. You're probably – it's not going to be sustainable uh, to for 20 years be working – 50, 60 hour weeks. That's not going to work. You're going to burn out. 
there's such beauty and significance to having seasons in life. So it could be that you are in a season when you're when you're young that you're working hard. And yeah, there are days or weeks where there are long hours and find spaces within that to still have fun, to be in community with people, to laugh about uh, you know, feeling like you're back in college some nights because you had to stay up late working on a project. And then also recognize, okay, there's going to be seasons where my life doesn't look like this. So how can I find the beauty and how can I find the gold? And believe me, I'm speaking to myself as I am saying this. How can I find the beauty and the gold in this season? Because as as women, more than men, quite frankly, we have opportunity for a lot of different and varied seasons, to be in a season of work, to be in a season of motherhood, to to be in a season of part-time job and motherhood. It looks different for everyone, and that's good, and we celebrate that. There's no one-size-fits-all. Um, but I think yeah, recognizing whatever you're doing, do it to the fullest. What you are called to in that season, do it with your whole heart and do it with a spirit of excellence. Boom. That was All right. just solid. <laughs> well, on on the subject of womanhood and of jobs and careers and balancing it all and what women want, the age-old question that everyone's been trying to figure out for years, <laughs> including women themselves, uh, we have to talk about the Barbie movie. We have to talk about the yeah. Barbie movie. So we're going to be right back. We have a special guest as well joining us. Stay tuned for some in-depth Thoughts, critiques, hot takes on the Barbie movie. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. We are talking Barbie. And here to help us do so is the Heritage Foundation's Emma Waters. Emma, thank you for being back with us and welcome back from maternity leave. Hi, Virginia. Thanks for having me back on. <laughs> well, we have a full house. We never have four people in studio, but we have four. This is this so is fun awesome. for this segment, but so appropriate because you need four ladies to talk about Barbie. <laughs> so Kristen and I, we saw the movie on Sunday night. Emma, you've seen it. Evie, you have not seen it. You're skeptical. I'm skeptical. I want to hear y'all's take and decide if I should go. I just didn't have the stamina for Barbenheimer. I just did the Inheimer. And we're going to get your thoughts on Oppenheimer because I've heard mixed reviews, so I want to know what you have to say. Uh, And hopefully by the end of this conversation, we will have properly educated you on Barbie to make an informed decision. I am going to give, we're going to try and not give a ton of spoilers. There may be some spoilers. So for anyone who's like, I'm going to see it on Friday night and please don't spoil it, uh, maybe push pause and come back and listen to this because there's no promises that we're not going to, we're not going to spoil a little bit. But the Barbie movie, I mean, by, by box office standards, it's been a success so far, so it's raked in over $350 million worldwide. It has 90% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, both from audience and critics. You don't usually see that. And as conservatives, I walked into the theater pretty skeptical. Mm-hmm. I, I said this on the show last week. I was worried. I thought it was going to be really woke. 
and I was pleasantly surprised. Don't get me wrong. It has its woke moments. It does have an actor in it who is a man who identifies as a woman. Um, But it also, very surprisingly, actually had some themes that I think you could classify as conservative and very traditional. So let's dive in here and get some takes. Let's talk first um, about the movie ends where it began in some ways. And Emma, you had thoughts on this. Talk a little bit about the theme of motherhood that we start the movie with and that we end the movie with. Yeah, so there will definitely be a few scene spoilers in this, (laughs) but it's so fascinating. We have to discuss it. So the movie dramatically begins with little girls playing with traditional baby dolls that they end up smashing when Barbie comes onto the scene. Um, And Barbie sort of represents this like forever youthful woman, very sexualized, very attractive, um, and notably unable to have children um, because they joke in the movie, all of their reproductive parts are just plastic mounds. And so you get this very jarring look at like baby doll skulls breaking. And I have a four month old. So I'll be (laughs) honest, I was like, oh, this is so harsh. (laughs) This is too much. Um, But then you get to the end of the movie, right? And there's this incredible moment where Barbie is talking to um, the creator of Barbie. And they're having what I really think is this retelling of Genesis 3 moment where you have Barbie, basically the creator of Barbie saying, it's up to you to create your own self. Like you are your own creator and you Mm -hmm. decide who you are. So on the one hand, it's a very like woke idea of like you can recreate yourself based on your own ideas and you don't have a transcendent creator that you look to. But on the other hand, talking to Barbie, who is a doll, it is almost this empowering moment where you're saying like, no, you have the opportunity to actually like live the choices, right, to live the sort of real life that you desire. And so um, the creator of Barbie looks at her and says, but before you make the decision to become a human, let me show you, um, let me show you what it's about. And it's kind of this moment um, of uh, Barbie seeing good and evil and knowing good and evil. And so the creator holds her hands and then all of a sudden these beautiful images of mothers and daughters playing in fields um, from the 70s and 80s just start coming across the scene. And I don't know many people who didn't get emotional in that. That is when I shed a tear. (laughs) And this is what's so good about the movie is that it really hits this mother-daughter relationship and the restoration of that unlike anything else. Um, And it's just incredibly beautiful. And it really brings back this restored vision of motherhood. And at the end, um, Barbie decides to become a human. And there's this very humorous scene at the end where her first act as a human is going to the gynecologist. (laughs) Um, And it's hilarious. And on the one hand, you could take that as a very woke. She's taking control of her reproductive rights. Oh, that's lame. But on the other hand, it affirms the fact that Barbie as a human is no less than her biology. And in fact, her biology is essential to her womanhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Notably, the transgender Barbie is only in Barbie land where mm. they actually defy nature. It is never in the real world, Ooh. which I actually think is a really powerful, like conservative, like yeah. moment there. Um, yeah. But it's her embracing her ability to create children, to procreate with children that is actually so powerful. And I think points to a very hopeful ending to the movie. Mm. That yeah. was a mic drop moment that it was <laughs> because I was also thinking about the trans Barbie or not the trans. The trans actor playing a, a Barbie. female Barbie, and I thought I took it a different way. It was super ironic to me that the doctor 
is a, a male in Barbie land, technically a biological male, but then Ken a white is biological like, male. <laughs> yes, exactly. But then Ken, there's a scene where he's, it's in the, the preview, so this isn't quite the spoiler, but Ken is like, I'm a, I'm a part of the patriarchy. I can be a doctor if I want. I just need a clicky pen. And <laughs> the woman is like, no, you can't. You need training. And that was like one of those moments where I was like, okay, cool. This makes sense. But the irony of like, you know, having the one trans Barbie being the doctor where you're still a biological male. Like, come on, man. Like, mm-hmm. you're you're still feeding into that. Only male, males can be, bar, uh, not Barbies, doctors. <laughs> doctors. <laughs> I, just, yeah, I just thought that it was ironic. Maybe it was intentional. I don't think it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe subconscious yeah. on behalf of. But yeah, I, I thought that full circle was so interesting that we come right back at the end of the movie to this concept of womanhood. And then mm. it's innate in every woman to have a desire to for so many women to have a desire to be a mom to make children but that element of your biology is directly attached to your femininity to being a woman at the very foundation of it i i want to do some rapid fire um hot takes on the movie what you liked best and what you like least so for me definitely what i liked the most and what I appreciated the most was probably the humor. I thought mm. they did humor very, very well. They summarized some of the elements um, of just the weird, funky things that you deal with as a woman. I thought it's just pretty hilarious how they encapsulated some of that. Uh, and I found myself laughing quite frequently throughout the movie. Um, what I liked least was that they made men look dumb. Mm. And this is classic Disney. We've seen this over and over and over from Disney. Disney Channel growing up, the dads in those shows were always stupid. And (laughs) that's exactly what they did here. Uh, Ken is dumb. The CEO of Mattel is a male is dumb. The uh, dad in real life, um, the father of the, um, the daughter and the mom, he's an idiot. And like they really intentionally made all of the male characters that had any speaking lines look dumb. And like that's not necessary. And I think the lie behind that is if we're going to elevate women, we have to push men down. And that is such a lie. You cannot elevate any group of people by pushing someone else down. Truly a rising tide lifts all boats. And that is a lesson that Disney one day hopefully will learn, but they certainly have not learned it yet. But let me get y'all's thoughts part of the movie that you like the best and the worst Kristen yeah no I I mean I think the part of the movie that I liked the best was just the constant clashing of the genders um that we (laughs) saw and I mean there's a scene too where I mean Ken was portrayed very pathetically I felt really bad for him but then again how many of us had a Ken doll I don't think I did oh I had Um, to oh (laughs) (laughs) but um Points aside, <laughs> you are the minority. No, I'm just I, I had a sorry. This is a side note. I had a Ken doll that like had an automatic, uh, like wetsuit, and like you put him in water, and like his like wetsuit on his skin appeared. Anyway, his I job was that. beach. His job was exactly. beach. Yes, yes. No, but they're you know they're making fun of Ken, poor guy, and at the same time. One of the major themes of this movie was until we act mature, until we accept that we are uniquely and beautifully different in Mm -hmm. our roles, in our genders, you know, we're not we're going to constantly manipulate and failed to rule. We saw that Barbie land was failed. Like the women didn't rule it very well all by by themselves. And then we saw 
from Mattel and um, just, you know, what they were, the allegories they were using in the real world, that men just being in charge wasn't the right answer. So they brought both of these things together and kind of further validated what you're saying about Genesis and the, the play on that. Because we need both sides. Man Mm -hmm. could not live by himself. Woman was made of man's rib, Adam's rib. And I I think that that was so cool because as dumb as Ken was portrayed, he did bring a beautiful message of we need one another in order to effectively rule um, and have peace, you know, in our lands, fake or real as they may be. So I think that would probably be my favorite. Um, My least favorite, I just, you know... I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> it's I'm okay. Stumped. You don't have. You um, really liked the movie. I really liked the movie. That's there were awesome. definitely. I don't know. Maybe the tension between the mom and the daughter. But oh, like, yeah. Really, I, I came out very positive. I think I went in with such low expectations, so yeah. that I was very surprised. So I'm just going to leave it as as positive as I can. I like it. Okay, so you guys are both hitting on a theme that I think is fascinating. Mm. And it gets at the idea of the hero's arc or like the hero's journey. Mm. So Joseph Campbell, back in the 20th century, wrote The Hero with a Thousand Faces, where he went through basically all of mythology and recent history of literature. And he wanted to create what is the monomyth, the one hero's journey. And so he lays out, um, I think, 12 steps of like, here's the beginning to the end, the full circle arc. Well, one of his students in the 70s, right in the middle of the sexual revolution, Maureen Murdoch, she went to his office one day and was like, okay, well, this is an explicitly masculine um, hero's journey. So what about the women? And so Campbell has this great line where he says, well, the women are actually the destination. They're the reason for the journey. Um, Mm. The reason the man is inspired um, is because of the woman. And she serves as this guide to him. So think Lady Wisdom or think Athena and the Odyssey, who really is like both supporting the man, but also help guiding the man to his full potential. Um, but of course it being the seventies and Maureen Murdoch, she was like, well, this is insufficient. I have to figure (laughs) out like, what is the feminine, like, or what's the female, like hero's arc. So she creates her own hero's arc. And I looked this up last night. Um, and it turns out that Barbie follows her like female arc perfectly. It's fascinating. And what's so interesting is the first step of her arc is the rejection of femininity. Oh, wow. And it's only when you reject femininity and then after the rejection of femininity, the second step is taking on the masculine. So entering into a masculine space. And then after that, um, you have multiple steps. But what's so interesting is one of the key steps in this process is um, thoughts of death, which we know was a major wake up call for Barbie. And it's the restoration of the mother child relationship. And that's one of the main steps. And then the next to last step is her trying to reclaim this old femininity. So like when Barbie sort of has her identity crisis, comes back from the real world and is like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And just like lays there and like, what does Barbie mean? (laughs) Um, And Murdoch says, well, to be feminine as you were before is no longer sufficient. And for Barbie, that's true because it was a very one-sided, empty femininity, um, a very superficial one. Um, But then what's so interesting is uh, Murdoch's arc ends with this sort of 
asexual, bisexual um, unification of the masculine and the feminine, but in a single person. Um, and so you end up with this um, female hero who, by the way, she didn't actually get from mythology. She just kind of created then like forced on to like movies <laughs> since then. Um, so like it's not well done. Um, but what you get is actually a single woman who is both the masculine and the feminine. And so the problem with that is you can't actually create children or bear fruit from that asexual like single person. Mm. And that's the part that I found, I think, most fascinating with the end of the Barbie movie is while I love the highlight and the promise of motherhood, it's ultimately just Barbie, who's now this like masculine, I've seen the real world and been empowered, but also I'm now feminine. And that's a good thing. Um, mixture that's good. But again, without a kin, um, a kin in the real world, she can't actually like fully live into her humanity. And so I thought it was fascinating that they followed um, this hero's journey so closely but then the ending, they left just ambiguous enough to potentially poke fun at the journey and say, like, mm. hey, this is an incomplete ending. Mm. Um, because without the man, like you were saying, you don't actually see the restoration of the sexes. And briefly going to Joseph Campbell's, what's so fascinating with his is that in order for the hero's journey to succeed is he needs a woman who encourages him and respects him. Mm. And what's the one thing that Barbie denies, Ken? Yeah. Ooh. It's respect and guidance. Mm -hmm. And so she apologizes for the lack of respect at the end of the movie. But then he looks to her in what I think is like a proper look of like man to lady wisdom and Proverbs. And instead of her taking that responsibility and that opportunity to encourage him and say like, no, like go and do the things like we are behind you. Mm -hmm. She says, no, go figure it out on your own. Mm -hmm. And she cuts off the opportunity for Ken to actually full, fully realize his hero's journey. And that is my least favorite part of the movie. Ooh, that, that was, was good. Wow, Emma, that was impressive. I, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That's an incredible synopsis and breakdown. It really is mind blown, absolutely mind blown. And I think that gets that end scene of Ken and Barbie there together that so much of our journey and our quote unquote self-discovery has to be done in community. We cannot do it alone. And as much as we want to think we can do it alone, we can't. We need other people. We need to be doing that in the context of relationship. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Mm. Okay. Well, have we convinced you, Evie, to I've see gotta the go movie? See <laughs> well, and, and even y'all are talking about these really deep themes. She was able to get into this plastic toy. I don't know if y'all read Chronicles of Narnia mm, like I did mm, as a kid, mm. but seeing that she's going to helm that, do you guys trust her with... C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. What is y'all's reaction to oh, that? Oh, wow. Wait, she's doing? She's going to do two. She's going to direct two. Yeah. So the same director of Barbie mm -hmm. is directing. Yes, Greta Gerwig. I'm sorry. I should have said her name. No, it's okay. That's amazing. Okay. Oh, I, I don't know if I do. I hate this. Well, yeah. In fairness to her, she Ooh. did come out and say she's terrified to do it. So I think right. that she is going to right. do the best that she can yeah. to honor. Like, that's just my opinion because she Follow did do book. such a good Follow job of, you know, playing the line of, of the po politics in Barbie and the craziness. Um, yeah. There were a lot of themes she could have brought in that she didn't. She chose not to. And that respect shows that. Exactly. There's a level of respect for that. Um, so I'm going to be hopefully optimistic on this one. But awesome. to be trusted with a work of C.S. Lewis, that yeah. is weighty. Big Whew. deal. Big deal. Wow. I don't know. Emma? <laughs> you, you're like trying to decide. <laughs> My mind is blown right now. I have no idea this and is I'm, coming. Live I'm react. kind of wondering because I think to a lot of us, it's a, it's a story that relates back to your faith, right? Mm. And I don't know if y'all saw this headline, but Greta Gerwig said she hoped people seeing the Barbie movie felt like Shabbat. 
which was very interesting. She's not Jewish. She hmm. feels close to, I think, some Jewish family friends, and her partner's Jewish. But so apparently she did have kind of some religious mm-hmm. something or other rattling around in her brain making Barbie. Interesting. Well, this is my hope. If if she, Shia LaBeouf, I think, like, if he could become a Catholic mm-hmm. while playing in um, the Poppy Pio movie, yeah. then maybe she can become a Christian or have an experience with Christ. Absolutely. There's no other way you can interact with Aslan, I think, without at least in some degree interacting with the Christ figure, yeah. um, which is just the genius and the blessing of C.S. Lewis. Um, so I will be with Kristen and remain optimistically hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I'm... I'm... I'll see it. I'll definitely see it. (laughs) (laughs) And we will review it right here. We'll have the four of us back on to do the breakdown. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I do, Evie, want to hear briefly about Oppenheimer. Is it good? Would Would you see it again? I don't want to overstate anything. Okay. I feel like it was the greatest movie of the 21st century. Okay. Okay. So good. So good. <laughs> but you're not overstating it. I'm not anything. overstating it, though. No, or maybe it's just I have not been to the movie theater in eight Fair. months after having a child, and now I'm just blown away by anything. No, it was really good. I wow. think it's getting a lot of um, – I mean, I've seen people complaining about all kinds of things between three-hour runtime, which – Commit. Commit to the bit, mm-hmm. you guys. We're in there. I didn't <laughs> you blink also once. Know. You know. Going you into know. it. <laughs> um, but I found it to be, you know, you're in the head of this person who I think Christopher Nolan's making the argument. He's the most important person t- of the 21st century. I'm not going to say to ever walk the earth because I think we would all agree who that figure would be, man and God. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, he's the American Prometheus. He is giving people the power not to save themselves but to destroy themselves. And you're just kind of spending 20 years with him and getting inside his head. So I found it to be a fascinating movie. Everyone in the theater, I've never been in a theater where people were so riveted. I don't even think somebody popped a piece of popcorn in their mouth. They were just glued. (laughs) Mm. I felt like I blinked and it was over. So I really enjoyed it. And then I came out of the theater and saw everyone in hot pink and was like, oh, you should have done Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I highly recommend. Okay. Wow. Well, I'm going to have to see it now because that, yeah. that is the second person that I have heard say they think from from a movie making perspective, from a filmmaking perspective, that it's just brilliant and will probably win all sorts of crazy awards. So maybe this weekend. Yeah. Well, ladies, thank you. This has yeah. been so, so fun um, and such a treat to have four problematic women on the show today. <laughs> Break the mold. <laughs> but with that, that's going to do it for today's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. As conservatives, we need your support in the podcast world. So take just a moment. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you like to listen. It means so much to us. And it really does help continue to spread the word about the show. And if you do see Barbie or Oppenheimer, let us know. Let us know your hot takes. DM us on the Problem Women Instagram account. All right. Have a great week. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.